Okay, today's scripture passage is from Matthew uh, 5, verses 20 to 48. You can follow along on page 892 to 893 of your pew Bibles. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard me. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gifts in the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to that person. person. Then, go, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you, will be, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must, be, must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that is said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take, you to, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you, may, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We thank God for the gift of his word. Good morning. I... Um Hope that this hour will be a little different than the experience of the previous hour. Uh, this morning, I'm um, privileged to be able to speak in all three congregations. And um, this morning, I got to a certain point in the introduction to my sermon 
then looked down at my notes and realized I had the wrong sermon. And so then I had to excuse myself, run down, grab the other one, and then come back up. And so um, I hope that this is the right one today so I don't have that same experience during this hour. Um, we're going to continue to look at the book of Matthew today. One of the things I enjoy about looking at Scripture when we're using it in sequence is that it allows us to review, evaluate, experience, challenge, whatever the term might be, ourselves and what God has to say to us. It does not allow me to go in any direction that would be what I would necessarily choose so therefore, we are really trying to uh, determine what it is that God has for us. And um, when we come together on Sunday, as we've discussed previously, in the Old Testament, so much was geared around looking at who God was as the Creator, how He impacted their lives. The focus of things was very much about the redemptive acts of God and how He He had blessed the people of Israel. But then we got to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, when the gathered people would uh, experience worship, their focus was primarily around Jesus. So today we're going to be looking again at some of Jesus' teachings. Uh, specifically, so that's the reason for the strange title, He Said It, Not Me. That doesn't mean that I don't like what He said. It's just that I recognize His authority so much more than mine. His is not opinion, perspective, evaluation. I remember when I was a young child. Now, I don't know <coughs> how old you were when you began coming to worship. But for me, in my background, I grew up where a five-year-old sat in with his parents in worship. So, I mean, I learned from the earliest days to sit and to listen, even though I didn't have a clue what the pastor was talking about. But somewhere in the process of time, I began to process what, what the pastor was saying. I wouldn't say that if a good and long-winded, especially in the case of most Asian preachers that would go for an hour at a time, I would have really been in trouble. But I can say I was able to focus in short spurts of a couple of minutes and a couple of minutes. And somewhere in there in the middle of all that, when I was nine years old, I made a decision for Jesus. So it can happen early if you're exposed to the teachings and training of Christ. But for me, I started early and I can remember uh, trying to understand and grasp how what the preacher was saying had anything to do with my life. But I can remember also some of the time listening to the pastor preach and throughout the sermon, all I heard were references to, well, I feel, I think, it's my opinion. It's, and I began to reach a certain point that I began to say, you know, your opinion is really not... The reason I came here, the reason I came to worship was because I understand that this is where we're supposed to meet God. This is the place where we're to come together and focus on Him, not to focus on all the many distractions of life. This week we know there are many distractions that have come our way. 
Our challenge is to find how we can focus on what God has for us today. How does one, as we look at Matthew 5, verses 20 to 48, lengthy scripture, how does one improve on a sermon that's presented by Christ? Each week I listen to different preachers looking into scripture and sharing the importance of this and that. In many cases, it's the preacher trying to grasp a concept and communicate it. Today, the scripture is not just a story, but a defining of the values of God. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. That is what God did. And that's what we see in the ministry of Jesus. And as he gives us definition, we can look at his words, review his challenge, and attempt to consider how to apply his teachings. But the greatest success I think any of us would have today, sitting in this room, would be reaching the point that we simply hear his words and apply them Joyfully for what he has said. The Sermon on the Mount, which is the scripture we're looking at, is probably the most famous set of words found in the New Testament. Even non-Christians know this, these particular scriptures. It presents clarifications for what Christians are to believe. Christ knew that man had difficulties. He lived in this world. That's the reason that he came. So many things I appreciate about Christ are because I know he's been there before me. He knew what it was like to be criticized. He knew what it was like to be laughed at. He knew what it was like to be persecuted, even to the cross. His challenge for us, as we all know, is obedience. Ecclesiastes 12.13 is one of my favorite scriptures because it's a clarifying scripture. Fear God, obey His commands. Very clear. Doesn't make it easy to do, it just makes it clear. And when I look in Matthew chapter 5, that's my conclusion as well doesn't mean it's easy to be a Christian. Today I'm not here to say to you, listening to a long-winded preacher preach is always fun. I'm not here to say, reading the Scripture, listening to what God says to your heart is fun. But I am saying it's what gives us clarity of direction. The question is, what do we do with the direction? So many of us like adding more knowledge, but that's not the challenge. The challenge is obedience. Fear God, obey His commands. To fear God doesn't mean frightened of, to be afraid of that He's going to do something bad to you or damage you. It means to respect His position. To fear Him. To see His awesomeness. To recognize He is different than you or I. He is the Creator God, not you, not I. And yet, it's so interesting to me that for all of us, we tend to view the world based from our perspective and how things will impact us. You know, when we see something as a church that looks like it offends us and it, makes it, it somehow threatens the church, we want to defend 
As an individual, somebody says something about you. We want to defend. In truth, God can defend for us. He desires to defend for us. But we have to first respect Him and obey His commands. God has difficulty blessing a church that is unfaithful, that is lazy, that doesn't take His commands seriously. So today, our goal is to try to understand what righteousness is. Because you see, the Scripture we're looking at in Matthew is all intended to help us understand what it is to be a righteous person. Matthew 5, verse 20 shows us the challenge. Unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow! Pretty clear. You know what you've got to do. You know, we have to recognize that the scribes in the time of Christ, they were very, very learned people. They were the leaders. They were able to write and read and be able to do all kinds of things that were that highly, highly valued. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were the strictest of the people within the religious circle. They knew the rules of what was right and what was wrong. What you were supposed to do. How far you were allowed to walk with before it was classified as work. They knew what kind of clothing you were supposed to wear. They had all the rules down. And those were the very people that Jesus said, what they're doing is inadequate. Brothers and sisters, this is our challenge. For us to truly walk with Christ means to be more than just followers of the law. Because we can't do it. We can't do it even knowing what the laws and the expectations are of God. And yet, the Scripture says we're to be better than those who follow those things. You see, it's not about our outward appearance that God is concerned. He's concerned about our commitment. He's looking for our motivation. What motivates us to come to church on Sunday? Ah, well, mom makes me go, so I go every week. That was what I was like as a small child. I never considered not going on Sunday morning. It was not an alternative. In the beginning, God created my mom, and my mom created Sunday school, so I had to go to it. It was very clear. You know, there was no discussion. I knew what I had to do. But as adults, we reach a point that God is saying, I want to know why you're doing what you're doing. It's more than just being religious. It's more than looking religious. It's walking with me. You know, the scripture says that there is none righteous, not even four. Uh, Sorry, not even one. Get the point? There's nobody. None of us in this room. We are all but sinners. We're all dependent. But yet the challenge of righteousness in chapter 5, verse 20 is very clear. It means that in a sense, we should all carry around a spiritual mirror. And every time we begin to get a little prideful, we need to pull it out and have a look at ourselves. Sometimes it's through difficulties and struggles 
challenges that make us reevaluate what kind of a church we are. What kind of an individual Christian we are. You know, it's uh, amazing. I look at one of my favorite friends of the Bible is Job. Not because Job had a great life and had everything. Of course, we know in the beginning of the story of Job, we see a man who had been very successful. And the Scripture even calls him a righteous man. Well, now, there are not a lot of people in the Bible that truly were righteous. But God said, this man is righteous. Told Satan that. Said, this is, this is one I'm proud of. He's doing fine. But yet, we know the story. Job did not find every day easy. Smooth and comfortable. He even went before God and worshipped on behalf of his family when he didn't understand what was going on because he was fearful that someone in his family might have accidentally sinned. For him, God is worthy of worship and devotion even beyond his own understanding. I would say to you today that our church sometimes has been... uh, Put in situations that are very challenging. I would say that you have been put in situations that are somehow very challenging. And yet, we need to learn from Job. It's not about whether we understand the circumstances that we worship and praise God. It's not for those reasons that we come together on Sunday to worship and praise God. But our focus at this time today needs to be on God. Regardless of the circumstances. Job didn't understand why everything was taken from him. He sat back for hours and days, quietly trying to understand, struggling. What is going on? What did I do? Why is this coming my way? To ask those questions is not necessarily sinful. Those are desires by man to grasp the answers. In Job's case, we saw that he stayed the course. In the end, he stayed the course. The difficulties came, but he stayed the course. And at the end of the book of Job, we all know what happened. God looked it over and he was able to one more time go back and say, consider my servant Job. He is a righteous man. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for VCBC is that God will be able to say they stayed the course through all the difficulties, through all the things they didn't understand. They remembered that I, God, was a creator God. I love them. I will care for them. They feared me. They respected me and they obeyed my commands. So I count them worthy. Not because they are so capable, but because they found joy in being dependent on my leadership. Job is a worthy model to challenge us. He stayed the course. He went through the fire. Another scripture that goes on in chapter 5, verse 23 to 24 giving us instruction on how to be that righteous man. Last week we looked at, or week before, we looked at 
How we receive blessing. The many things in chapter 5 that go from verses 1 to 16 dealing with blessing. Now we're looking at righteousness. What it is to be righteous. And as we look at 5, 23 and 24, we can see that forgiveness for anything begins with you. You know, this story, oh my goodness, what a terrible verse in the Bible. Now, why would I say that? Because when I was a child, this verse gave me trouble. You know, when I was a young kid, and as I've said, I grew up in church. My mother and father gave me my offering. Not really my offering. They gave me my allowance. And from that, I drew my offering. And I knew that my offering didn't begin until after I had given my tithe. So I knew, first of all, if they gave me a dollar then I had to give 10 cents of it back to God. Now, as a kid, 10 cents was, wow, that was that's the big bucks, you know. But I said, okay, if that's why, you know, if that's what God demands, then I do that. That 10%, my, my teaching was very clear. My mother said, you know, that 10% is not yours. That 10% already belongs to God. You're just returning it to Him. But then the offering begins beyond it. So then I would give 11 cents because I'd give him one extra cent. That was an offering. So there was a distinction between tithing and offering. Well, by growing up that way, I began to understand the situation. Then I got to this scripture. Boy, this scripture caused problems. Because this scripture said that I was supposed to have my relationship with my classmates, my friends, my mother, my father, everybody in good working order. And it said before you go to church and you give your offering, you're supposed to get relationships right with other people. Oh, no, not excited about that. I read this scripture and it said, you know, before you go to the altar, you're supposed to leave your gift there, go and clean up things and then come back. I remember learning what it was to, to deal with that pain because even as a small kid, I had to go around and I went to some other classmates and I told them, okay, um, I'm sorry that you're wrong and I'm sorry that you're so mean. <laughs> Gradually, I began to understand there are different ways of using the word sorry. And I really wasn't. Sorry, except that trying to benefit them in some way. So I wouldn't say that I was successful as a kid, fully understanding and grasping that. But I certainly think that today, the ones in this room are a little older than I was. And I think you can understand what God is trying to teach us. And God is saying to us, sometimes people do things that are bad. Some people, sometimes people say things that are wrong. Sometimes people harm us. They harm the church. It is not your responsibility to protect God. God is big enough to protect himself. He can take care of himself. Now, it is our responsibility to be consistent Christians. We will see things that are wrong. And we need to say that. 
We live in a society that has many things going on. You know, we've had this situation going on with Trinity Western, where Trinity Western University was trying to establish a law school. A vote went out. The lawyer said they didn't even support it. The vast majority. How it was done, no, I'm not overly impressed. But yet the reality is that that's where our world is. See, what I want to say to you is not that I have all the answers. I don't. But I do want to say to us, we have to work on our response. What motivates us? Sometimes things happen that are not fair. God never promised it was all going to be fair. And you're not responsible for making it fully fair. But how we respond is important. And even as the Scripture says, obey my commands, part of those commands challenge us to stand up. We are not to be bath mats. Christians need to stand up, but be, be prepared to pay the price. You see, the Scripture also talks about, and we talked about it last week, we will talk about it some today. Persecution and suffering. When the church functions as salt and light, in chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16, the church can prepare itself because it's going to receive some challenges. As we look at the Scripture, we know that to be obedient means to be brave, And to be strong. And I will use the best model for this I can think of. And that's Jesus. You see, you and I have to remember something. I am not a disciple of Paul. I am not a disciple of Apollos. I am not a disciple of Aquila. I am a disciple of Jesus. He is my model. He never failed. He never fell fell down. He knew what it was like, but he also paid the price. He was criticized, he was lied about, he was cursed, he was thrown on a cross and he was killed. He rose, he conquered the death, but he went through all of that other. Brothers and sisters, why do we think we're not going to have to experience some of that? Why do we somehow think our lives should be comfortable and safe? And secure. If we say we're disciples, it means we're willing to pay the price. The scripture says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It doesn't say hunger and thirst. It's just after righteousness. There's got to be a reason. There's something we want. We want to be like Jesus. If we do... There may be a price to be paid. Is the church willing to receive those challenges? Are we willing to remain on task? Even though we know the challenge will be great. How about you? Chapter 5, verse 28 says, Lust in the heart is adultery. You and I all know that... um, 
there are more and more growing opportunities. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Los Angeles, and he was talking to me about how to get to his church. I went to his church, and he kept giving me this great instruction, except he said, you go past the strip club, and you turn right. And I thought, you know, it really is the kind of world we live in. Now, for the women in the room, you may enjoy this scripture because you're sitting saying, see, it's all the men. It's all the men looking at the women. Yeah, it's all the men's fault. Well, I believe in Chinese. We have the term lam lei ping dong. Men and women are equal. Believe me. Women have their matters of sex and sin, and sin as well. We all have got our problems. It's not limited just to the guys. Sin is sin. Whatever form it comes in. But when it says lust in the heart is adultery, it tells me two topics that are very important. Lust is in the heart. It's not just what you physically do. You see, we've got a, a very strange world we live in. Uh, we, we somehow have forgotten that God created men and women with purpose. Adam and Eve were created to care for the garden and to uh, procreate. Sex is not dirty. Within marriage, sex is a very beautiful thing and it's the way it should be. And yet, we have people who have uh, corrupted and, and made awkward those things to where it looks like it's something we accept as dirty these days. I have a cousin who is married, and I guess she would call my cousin-in-law or whatever. I don't know the terminology. But I can remember talking with her one day, and she made a comment to me that uh, as far as she was concerned, she said, I know my husband. I know the way men are. And I said, oh, yeah, good for you. And she said, um, oh, yeah, she said, it's okay for him to look, but he better not ever touch. Talking about women. I understood what she was saying, but the truth is when it comes to lust for men, even the looking depends on how long you look. You know, I had another guy was talking to me one day and he said, man, that girl was gorgeous. And I said, yeah, I agree with you. She was gorgeous, but you were really looking a long time. He said, yeah, I know because it's sinful to lust. So he said, when I look, I look really long and really well. And I thought, eh, OK, I hear you. But the point is, sin is found in the heart. God is trying to warn us. If you want to be a righteous person, recognize reality. Don't be afraid of it. As I said, according to the scripture, sex is not the problem. God created it. The problem is what we've done with it and how we warp it. Chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, talks about a very terrible topic. Divorce. I've already told you, this isn't my sermon. This is Jesus' sermon. But it was important even in those days. We're talking 2,000 years ago, and it was an important enough subject that Jesus brought it up. Again, don't shoot the messenger. Jesus... In chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, certainly shows clearly that it was an important thing for their day because 
people were divorcing and they were divorcing for the purposes of basically what you would expect to get rid of this one, which would free them to be able to be involved with another woman. Well, now the reason that the scripture so much focuses on men is because very much in those days in society, that was the way scripture was written and the way people thought was the man was the center. And, and so you focus things in that direction. But as I've already said, it doesn't mean that women weren't responsible as well. But adultery is sexual unfaithfulness in marriage. The image of adultery is used in the Old Testament to speak of Israel's relationship with God. And the fact that the people of Israel so often found themselves almost divorcing themselves from God. Because God would give them clear instructions. You remember very well the story of Moses as he went up on the mountain. He's gone for just a short time, returns, and the people have been totally distracted and are trying to worship idols and other things. It's amazing how quickly people can get distracted and confused. Would it were that we were all selfless and caring in all that we did, but it's simply not the case. I'm very thankful that my wife is uh, not going to be asking any questions in here because she would tell you what a bad husband I am. But the, the truth is, it is a challenge for men to be everything they should be in their marriage toward their wives. I need to be a better husband. I confess that to you. And yet, the word divorce is not something we have ever seriously contemplated. And yet, I will admit, in China, I found the divorce issue to be very confusing. Because I began to realize that divorce is something that occurs not only legally, but emotionally. You know, uh, for a long, long time, I would hear people talk about the, uh, the fact that Chinese don't divorce so often. But then I began to look, and there were so many families where, in fact, the husband and wife had already emotionally divorced years before. They were living together, but they weren't married. Sometimes it was just a husband and a wife. Still together in the same home. And yet they weren't truly married. But in China, one of the biggest issues, as you're well aware, is uh, we have a society there that has found a way to cover one eye and go forward. You see what you have to see. But you don't pay attention to the reality. We had a man in a church that I was in in Kansas City that was working in China, was going back and forth um, each month, only to learn gradually that uh, he had a, a lady in China that he was supporting. Well, in Kansas City, it was he, his wife, his two kids, his mother-in-law. Life looked great. In China, it looked very different. In China, when I was working in a company, 
the owner of the company, knew he, his wife and two kids. We'd been to their home to eat many times. Good friend. But I'd noticed he'd been making trips to another city pretty regularly, only to learn that he had a, a girl there that was about 20 years younger. And she was very happy with it. She knew what was going on. She knew that she would ultimately never marry him. But he took care of her well. You know, we use the word divorce based on the Scripture. And it says, don't divorce. I would say to you that the Scripture would be very, very clear in saying emotional divorce is just as damaging. When we make a commitment... We need to hang on to that commitment and make it real. Divorce is never desired, but it sometimes occurs. The challenge for us as a church, how do we treat people who are divorced? Just because a person is divorced, does that mean now we get to ignore them? Make them feel awkward, make them uncomfortable. We need to remember that a person who's divorced didn't get that way because they wanted to get that way. People don't marry saying, boy, I'm really looking forward to the day out there ten years later when I can get a divorce. We don't do that. Divorce is not exciting for anybody. So part of our challenge as Christians is, To continue to know our responsibility is to love those people, care for those people, be an encouragement for those people. Because they didn't do it out of a joyous excitement. But we do need to recognize the scripture tries to challenge us to say, if you can make the right commitment and hang in there, it's a very good thing. Chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 43 and 45. Chapter 5, verses 43 to 43. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Jesus is our model. This week, there were buildings in China that were destroyed. This week, there were Christians in Canada who were greatly disgusted by what went on with the lawyers and their decisions. This week, there were letters and media events regarding churches and Christian decisions that hurt the kingdom of God. This week, there were Christians who were martyred for their faith. This week, there were husbands and wives who found adultery occurring in their own homes. This week, Jesus' name was used in vain by the media thousands of times. This week, you may have been talked about, criticized, slandered, And embarrassed. And remember, all of that happened this week. The question is not whether we will ever have enemies or those people around us that abuse us or say things that are wrong or hurt us. The question is how we respond. Jesus was trying to teach us throughout all the verses how to be righteous. So he dared to mention difficult topics. Topics none of us like to talk about. Topics we would rather close our eye and not see. But he said, you must understand. To be righteous, these are issues you need to take serious. But remember, the scripture also says there is none righteous. 
Not even one. So he's letting us know, these are my standards. But you still have hope. There is still hope. Jesus is our model, and it's that simple. The focus when we come together to worship is Jesus, because he gives us hope. If we'll depend on him and confess our sins, he is righteous to forgive our sins. We need his righteousness, not our own. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today with a desire to confess our sins, to admit our weaknesses, and to find joy in the fact that you will forgive and cleanse our sins and give us another chance to keep moving forward in serving you. Father, we would pray that you would do the exact same thing within our church and those that relate to us in any way, that all of us would have a heart of confession. Because we want to see your hand on our future as you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.